1: What's up, Zach? We are in a place to be.
2: You are here. How's it going tonight? Chris, never better, man. I love this. So excited for the time. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, man. I appreciate you being here because from what I read about you, you have one of these cool stories that I feel like I I can relate to a lot up to a certain point and that it kind of, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but I related to it a lot. I was like, man, this would be a good guy to talk to and just really cool to see his story and how life went for him and what he's learned from it and the obstacles you had to go take over and like what you've learned from it. But just to give everyone like a quick blurb about it though. So you kind of just, you're an engineer, you started out and you were working your way up, doing everything right, you know, working more, trying to get the, the money, the benefit. Yeah. And yeah. Stuff. And then all of a sudden, I don't want to say rock bottom hit, but basically what you, I think, what I read, you said you were divorced. Was it burnout? And you were just like, what the heck?
2: All the above, man. Rock bottom's a fair, fair phrase, Chris. You know, it hits you hard and fast. So yeah, appreciate the context. You're absolutely right. Got out of college, Purdue, mechanical engineering, boiler up, worked hard, chasing the dream, you know, going after the promotions and the paychecks and really wanted to be successful. And honestly, Chris, along the way during those first few years, if you had asked me Did I have a balanced life? I would have told you, yes. I thought I did. But I was lying to myself, if I'm being completely fair, looking back. You know, it's 2020 in the rearview mirror that I really was not. What happened is I just continued to put more energy into getting smarter and working harder. That was the only recipe that I knew for success. And the things in my life that weren't working, like my marriage and areas in my personal life that were extremely important to me, but I didn't have the skills and I didn't have the support to make those things work, I just pushed those further back and kept focusing more on what was working, which was my career. Uh, huge mistake. And to your point, man, I that, that rock bottom moment, I, I'll never forget this. I was sitting at the big, you know, giant conference table at this fancy law firm, sitting catty corner from my divorce attorney. Mm. And for her, Chris, it was just another day at the office for her. Sure. But for me, this was the last place on earth I ever wanted to be. I don't doubt it. And I was so embarrassed, so ashamed. Like the whole experience of that was almost surreal. It's like, is this really happening? I I couldn't believe it. And, you know, I was really depressed after that. And none of the career success mattered in that moment. And honestly, you know, my career did suffer because of how bad those other areas got leading up to that moment. And uh, it was a tough time. But luckily, that's not the end of the story. But I'll I'll stop there for now. It was a really, uh, you know, you hit the brick wall and came to a screeching halt in terms of career and life at that moment.
1: You know... And the reason, I guess, why I said I related to a lot of that because, you know, I've never been divorced, never been married or any of that part, but that, you know, I've always been taught, you know, go to school, get as many degrees as you can, you know, the more success you'll have in life and that, you know, you just kind of run off that momentum until and just see what life happens to you, right? And just, and when you said that you thought everything was in check and everything was in balance, but it really wasn't, you know, and I think it's when COVID hit for me that, I was kind of just running off momentum and just doing what was, I guess, the norm that any other person in your late twenties, early thirties should be doing. Well, I guess I'm in my mid thirties now, but and that is just like, was I really, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was burnout or what was that, but I was I really cool, was I really in check, was I really in balance with myself, or I was just like you said, just telling myself that and telling everyone else, selling it to them because that's what they wanted to hear. You know, do you think a lot of people are like
2: or going through life like oh, that? Oh, for sure, for sure. I think the thing you just described at the end there was my story 100%. I, I knew what story I wanted to tell yeah. the outside world. And it was really important to me that everybody else th- thought that my life was as good as I sure. thought I wanted it to be. And nobody knew how bad it really was. You know, I And, and I have a great friend and a mentor, who says, isolation is the enemy of excellence. Mm. And I fell into that trap so bad, Chris, where I kept all the pain, everything that wasn't working secret, kept it to myself, because I didn't want the world to know that Zach didn't have it all together. You know, it took a lot of pride in that external impression or image of what people thought about me. And so I think what you're describing there is super true, and, and COVID put some pressure on people in that world because it got a little forced isolation for one, and then all of the other stressors in life got more intense, and it wasn't so easy to keep up the game and the shell anymore, right? Because right. it really started to hurt inside. So I've got a lot of clients who, you know, COVID revealed some of those weaknesses in the truth of their life versus the image of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, this, my divorce was way before COVID, but that was definitely what happened for me. And if one thing shifted in that moment that began my healing journey, it was that I stopped keeping secrets. You yeah, know, yeah. I actually told the people I loved what was going on. Mm-hmm you know, called my sister, called my mom, called my best friend. it just had the conversation, a lot of tears, a lot of <laughs> difficult moments, but it's like, Hey, so my life's not actually so, so great. <laughs> I'm really struggling. Yeah. You know, and
1: uh, we're, we're, we're real, quick, yeah, real quick going back though. I mean, you know, I can again, I can relate so much to that just because, you know, when I graduated, all my friends, you know, kind of moved to bigger cities and were getting jobs and starting families and, and everything. And, I always wanted to be the guy that was still like you are saying, like, hey, everything's cool up here with me. You know, I was even moving back in with mom and pop and not having my full time job or starting a career yet or anything that I was just, you know, worried about, you know, being looked at as a loser. And that was another maybe kind of a motivational thing for me going to get my master's degree or whatever. But then I could be able to tell my friends, yeah, you know, I'm getting my master's degree right now. I'm trying to do X, Y and Z. Yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm crushing it. Yeah, crushing life, man. You know, and then yeah, let me write a book on it. But and and it got to the point where yeah, it was just like, you know, it got tired of I guess selling all this to people and like I said, telling them what they want to hear. And just because, you know, if you were to say something that was different than the social norm, maybe not the social norm, but the regular norm or whatever you want to say, that it was just like, Oh, wait, maybe I'm the asshole now because I opened up to my feelings right or they and like i'm maybe i'm getting jumped for saying i maybe i shouldn't have went and got my master's degree or or having some weird you know like something the conversation where the uh the ideology is not there you know the it's not what they want to hear and yeah. so but when you finally first had those conversations like you said calling your mom just you know saying that hey you know mom i'm not good today you know yeah or like, hey bro you know they suck you know and like having those humble and vulnerable moments at the same time you know it, it Like you said, that's like a learning thing for you. And that's one thing that I kind of had a defense mechanism up and I never wanted to be that type of person. But it was like the first time I actually just said, screw it. You know, it's out here. Let's see what happens. Totally.
2: Chris, I think it's a really important thing for everybody to have at least a couple people in your life that you can be honest and vulnerable with. Yeah. You know, it's not to say, go on social media and spew your whole, you know, vulnerable journey. that's not what we're saying. But, but what I call it is being fully known. And I coach all my clients and say, look, you know, you can be with me while we're coaching together, but you also need to nurture in your life, some relationships sure. that you choose to be fully known with. That person has earned the opportunity to be the, you know, someone that you'll share your deepest darkest moments with and you know it is someone that needs to have a sincere amount of trust built up you don't want to you know throw your pearls before a swine as they say right that's not that's mm. not what we want to do here but it, it's it's super important that you have a couple people in that inner circle that you're willing to tell the whole truth to because if you don't then you know like you just described you start to not realize the difference between the life you're showing up as or trying to maintain that external story and the life that's happening on the inside. And one of the powerful ways to heal that and to grow is to be able to actually share the whole truth. And so, you know, you could take a lot of lessons from my rock bottom moment, but if that's the only one, I think it's a really powerful one is ask yourself, like, do I have at least one or two people that if I need to And I have the courage to, (laughs) that I can be totally honest with.
1: Yeah. And, and I've always been a person, I wanted to ask you this, like talking on this, that I've never really been a trusting person and, Mm. you know, in confiding into others and, you know, actually trusting them with, you know, I don't know, little knowledge or just small things, big things, whatever you want to say that I've never been able to do that. And well, not, yeah, not never, but it's been, been hard for me to do that. Yeah. And I don't know if that stems back from childhood and just, you know, family issues, of course, or which I didn't have any. And I had a good childhood, of course, but, you know, just I don't know, just normal life, I guess. Right. But, you know, and I guess that's one thing I've never wanted to, you know, share those things with people because like, man, what do they go tell the whole world now? And yeah, I didn't want you yeah. know little Johnny to go tell Billy and Billy just run, put it on tw- Twitter. And then all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I had to learn to and I'm still still am learning to you know, take steps and you know, not share a ton of information or whatever, but just little things and then kind of building off that. I mean, I guess that's what my next question was for you. And were you a trusting person during this whole process, or did you have to
2: learn to trust start trusting people or what? That's a this a great that's a great question because you're right. I think unintentionally our parents mean well and and I don't think culture's intentionally out to make us untrusting sure that's not the the conscious motivation but i do think most people i meet really struggle with this mm. um and partly cuz you know when you're a little kid you talk about everything and then what do your parents do they start putting the guardrails on right hey you don't say that you're not allowed sure. to talk about that that's taboo you know we we get all these inputs in of what you're not allowed to talk about of course and it certainly conditions us to don't talk about things and then to your point it only takes one st- uh, situation or story where somebody violates that trust to to kind of say like I'm out you know that's not safe and your subconscious mind is pretty quick to put up the guardrails and say hey don't do that again that's a huge mistake to to share those deep dark secrets that hurt because people can abuse and hurt you with that yeah. so so you asked the question for me personally i feel really blessed that my, my core group, my family and my couple of best friends did have that, they had earned that trust in my life. And it wasn't that I didn't have it, but Chris, I just never used it. Like They would have gladly listened to me and offered support or help to me years before yeah. I ever actually opened up to them. But I didn't give them the chance to love me and support me in that way. Mm -hmm. And so I take full responsibility for that. It wasn't that I didn't have a trusting relationship, but I chose not to give them that, you know, really opportunity to, to be that role in my life. So that's on me. But I do know a lot of people and I've coached a lot of people who really struggle to extend trust. There's nobody in their life that they would be totally honest with, because they're very afraid of what that represents, and I, I have deep respect for that. I understand how hard that is, but I think what you described is important. Like, all right, look, maybe you're not ready to share everything that's going on, sure, but are you on a journey with someone to start moving towards that? Mm. You know, and I like what you said. Just get, give a little trust and see what comes back. Then give a little more and see what comes back. And over time and repetition and they prove faithful and trustworthy with that relationship, you know, next thing, you know, I say next thing, you know, it might take years, but that person could, could be a real game changer for you in the long run. So it's, it's worth it. That's all I'll say. It's worth it.
1: Yeah. You know, I guess the reason I said, you know, that small things work as the big things, it seems to be some type of pattern I see, you know, in almost all aspects in life and that, Anyway, and what I guess what I mean by that is that you know when you start a new or' well, say a ha- I guess a habit or a new program or learn something new, you always just gotta basically start small and just learn to you know get to level one, you know, right? and just learn the basics, build a foundation and then level two, then we see where we go from there and like add another story if we're building a house and level three and then you just kind of learn and see kind of where you're at in life and like, and, like, you know, books I've read, like, things I've done as far as, like, you know, my weightlifting competitions, you know, going to school, just anything. It's always just basics. Now, let's – after the basics, you've learned it, seen what happened. Let's move on. Yeah. And, and in the, yeah, there's probably outliers to everything where people can, you know, run down the – you know, never do anything in life and go run a marathon and be okay the next day or something, right? But I, I think that was my whole point. just I had to learn that. that yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's fair. There's an exception to every rule, right? And everybody likes to point at that, but it doesn't make the rule invalid, you know? And hey, I think yep. you're right that we want to get out of the comfort zone so we can grow. Mm. And you've got to stretch yourself and push yourself into a new area and pick up those new skills and start working with the small things. But to your point, I also do believe that, you know, there's a growth zone, but if you stretch it too far, you can get into a place where you literally don't have the competency or it, it becomes a real danger. Sure. So take like a physical example, like sports, you know, you're talking about running a marathon. Uh, y'all like to snowboard. You nice. know, so if you've never, if you've never snowboarded before, then you got to strap on the board. You gotta, gotta get out of your comfort zone, go start. Okay. You're going to fall a lot, yep. but you don't put a snowboard on somebody who's brand new and take them up to the top of a double black in the bulls in Colorado. Like you just don't do that. that sure. They will physically hurt themselves if they go that far. So like the comfort zone is sitting on a couch, just don't snowboard. It's like, hey, you're leaving the adventure of life behind if you don't get out of your comfort zone. Like you gotta go take the risk. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you wanna take a stupid risk sure. to where you can actually hurt yourself. And it's the same thing with this trust concept, right? Like y- you gotta get off the couch and trust a little and start stretching yourself. Like if it's uncomfortable for you to tell the truth to somebody, let's just start with something small, be vulnerable with something small, right? Like mm-hmm. put put the freaking snowboard on, let's try it. You but you don't wanna go tell your whole deepest, darkest life secrets to somebody who, <laughs> that's like the double black of vulnerability. Don't do that on the first coffee chat. Like they're not ready for it, you're not ready for it. And And you can actually get hurt doing that. Because, again, you haven't actually built the relationship. So I think it's true, man. all of life. Yeah, and going, you know, just touching on that
1: again, like another
2: thought came to my head with this
1: whole trusting concept topic, I guess, if you want to say that we're on. That, you know, when I was or when I would, you know, I guess open up to somebody or when I was trying to open somebody or open up to somebody or not, that I always feel like I was going to be a, a burden on that person. Mm-hmm. By, in some means, I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything at all in that way. You know, nobody has to worry about me. You know, I don't have to have anybody checking up on me that, you know, like, you know, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay with my thoughts. And that's what, you know, again, like selling it to myself because, you know, I didn't want people thinking that, you know, wait, is there something wrong with Chris today? You know, like, why is he, why did he say right. that to me? You know, why did he put it, you know, he dropped his hard drive like that on a, why, why did he say it like that to me or something like that was a stupid example, but but it was just like that. I just didn't want to be a, a nuisance on people. I hope that was the right word. I, but yeah, yeah. No, and I always thought that I was, you know, because if it was just like you know, nobody wants a, and I was, you know, a Debbie down or anything. And and I'm not making it out that I was, you know, I was dealing with you know mental issues or depression or anything like that. But it was just that it was just really hard for me to even open up my feelings. And I don't know again if that just came from childhood or whatever. It was just. It was just weird, a weird concept in my head for some, whatever reason. That's my whole point. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: yeah, Chris, I'll give you a little mindset thing that I see it's a really important shift we all need to make related to this. And I would broaden it beyond even just the idea of trust and asking for help mm. in any capacity. People don't wanna be a burden on other people. There's this sense of, I don't wanna bother you, that language you used. Everybody says that. And they, they take that on, your mindset be like, I don't want to bother Chris, so I'm not going to ask him for anything. I'll just take care of it. I got this because I don't want to be a burden. I don't bother him. Well, here's the thing. Flip it around for a second. Imagine if your friend, Chris, somebody who you actually do love and care about, came to you and said, hey, there's something that's just been a struggle for me lately. Would you be open to just a 20-minute coffee chat? I just need to talk to somebody. Mm Mm-hmm what would you say to that friend of yours? Like, oh man, like, don't bother me with your baggage. Like, I don't have time for you. You're such a bother. Stop asking me for help. Like, what are we friends or something? This is ridiculous. <laughs> like, like, no, if, if you actually care about that person, you would welcome that opportunity yeah. to be an encouragement to them, to support them. Yeah. So if you would respond to your friend that way, why would your friend not respond to you the same way? True and problem. in fact, if you knew, if, if somebody came and told you, "Hey, Chris, your friends have not been telling you the things going on in their life because they don't want to bother you for years." Wouldn't you be like, "What? <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why haven't you been telling me? Like, why have you been keeping that from me? Like, you're you're stealing an opportunity for me to be a good friend." And that's actually a really important fun part of friendship and relationship. It's like, it's not just about what I get from it. Part of what makes it joyful is like, I love to give back to my friends and family. Like I wanna help you just as much as I want you to be available to help me. So when you flip that script and you just realize, wow, when you actually think about it from the other shoes. Good point. You're stealing an opportunity for your friend to be a friend if you don't go to them and ask for help. True. And of course there's a balance, right? If if somebody's listening to this, they're like, okay, permission to ask ask for everything all the time and never give in return. That's not what we're saying, okay? But most you know, rational, healthy humans that I meet don't struggle with that. What they struggle with is they never ask for anything. And so I just encourage folks, like, don't take the opportunity from other people to enjoy the gift of helping
1: you. Mm. I like that, Zach. Yeah. Well, and in, in t- touching on what you said, too, that, you know, in this whole growth mindset, learning thing I've been doing, I don't know whatever you want to say that, you know, to your point, you know, I, I always thought that if somebody came and confided me into with a problem they were having or whatever, or opened up to me with a problem they're having, that I was like, you know, what am I going to say? You know, I don't really have any great advice or anything that could help probably make this person's day even better, but for some reason and i don't know where i got this from but that maybe just that person just wants to vent and open up to somebody and that really i don't know have to say anything i could just sit there with my cup of coffee or or whatever we're doing and just listen and at the end of the day maybe they just want to hear like damn that sucks you know and just know that they got to open it up and like share it and express their thoughts that way and like that means a lot to people too and then i was like you know and i always had that thing in my head like oh i have to try to be uh you don't, you don't have to be a therapist or try to say the right thing, whatever. Yeah, I guess. And I don't know where I picked that up at, but it was just And in, I guess maybe because, cause it kind of happened naturally that, you know, if I was out having coffee with a friend or whatever, or right after a workout that we just started talking all of a sudden, you know, was it word vomit to start talking all of a sudden like, wow,
2: got that off my shoulders. I feel yeah I'm better now. Yeah. You're so right. You know, if anybody feels that pressure of, Oh, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know if I can help. You know, it's really important to remember that it's not your job to solve the problem for them. Sure. You know, they may ask you for advice, and you can give it to them or whatever. But there's power in your presence. If you'll just be fully present with the person, just listen. Be in the room. You know, just just be there. Just rub shoulders. Yo, know, you don't have to know what to say at all, and in fact, it's really powerful, Chris, for you to just stay, say this "Hey, like that sucks, and I have no idea what to say, yeah. but I'm here for you. Like I'm, j- I, I'm here, bro. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, know, that, that's like awesome. that, literally, that's all you gotta say. Exactly. Th- there's no pressure. Just be there. Um, people crave genuine connection, and they're not telling you this because they expect you to be the hero." and solve their life's story. They just crave an opportunity to share that experience with someone. So if you'll just be in the room, you'll get off your phone, don't be distracted, just be in the room when that tough conversation's happening and just be honest, like, I got nothing for you on that, Chris. Like, dude, that sounds rough, but how can I help? Like, I'm here for you. That's it, that's all you need to do. Was like let's let's take this back a little bit because you left us. Um,
1: you were staring at your. Go back to your story. You were staring at a divorce lawyer in the uh, the
2: courtroom or the uh in, in her conference room. Conference yeah, room. Man.
1: Yeah. So uh, yeah. So let's go back to that and see you know what happened, man. You had me interested. Well, thank yeah. So
2: I you know punchline got divorced. Right. <laughs> br- brutal brutal time of life. And in that season, we talked these last you know fifteen minutes about opening up, reconnecting sure. with my family. But the other thing that happened, Chris, was I reached out and hired my first coach. And I reached out to this coach and said, hey, I still want a successful career. Like yeah. that part of me has not died. However, I don't wanna screw up my life again this time around. Sure. So I I know there's gotta be a different approach, I need help, and I started working with a coach. and." Chris, that process of being coached absolutely ignited my life. I I can't even tell you how much I resonated with the approach. I loved being challenged and held accountable. Uh, She was helping me to really unlock what was authentic and true inside myself. And I fell in love with being coached. And in the five years that followed that, that moment in the conference room, I got promoted five times in those five years. I had an extraordinary career trajectory, but more importantly, I went through a a healing journey from the divorce and depression. I got remarried to my now wife, Johanna, who is the absolute love of my life and the most amazing woman you'll ever meet and had this amazing balance that I had never experienced before. And in the process of, getting all those results, other people started asking me like, what happened, man? Like, sure. you went from that to this, that you know, you're so happy, you're not working the hours you used to work. You know, you, you seem to be getting everything you want out of life. You're, you're such a happy guy, like what's going on? And so I started coaching other engineers, showing them how my engineering brain had driven me into <laughs> rock bottom the first five years of my career and how things had shifted. and. There was a point in that journey, Chris, where I realized that while I loved engineering and I was really good at it, I felt this deep calling, like just a connection in my, my purpose, my mission for life, that it really wasn't about the products and the engineering anymore. It was about how my ability to understand the engineering world, because I was one, was connected to my passion for coaching and helping other people not to go through what I went through or if they were there, how to get out of it. And my company that I run now, Oasis of Courage, was born to help engineering leaders to build their career but to balance their life and be happy along the way. And that's what I'm doing now. So, you know, like I said, happy ending. But um, it it was a really fun... uh, unexpected road to, to get to this point. That's for sure.
1: I had a couple of thoughts and hopefully I don't lose them, but, you know, and you know, I grew up Ross. Yeah. I'm still here, but I grew up next to Virginia tech. Right. And it's like one of the most, it's probably one of the top engineering schools. Absolutely. Right. But you know, with what you were saying earlier in a podcast about, you know, working to get to the top of your field and, you know, taking on, I don't know, extra work and just trying to, you know, be the, the catch pajamas, I guess you could say. But is that part of the industry in mechanical engineering is that most people tend to go down this type of same work path and maybe burn out or put, you know, work first and everything else in the rear view mirror and just try to be their number one at the game. And then all of a sudden it catches up with you from nowhere. Like, oh shit. Oh wait. Now again, like like you're exactly like you said, like, oh wait, I'm not as balanced as I was. Is that part of it in this
2: engineering world? Is that just... Uh, outliers. I don't inherently think that it's unique to engineering, Chris. Mm-hmm. I think the the idea of competition within ourselves and within our industry, whether that's you know if you work in engineering, whether it's mechanical, you know, engineering, if you're in software, or you're in civil, or like doesn't matter the discipline. I feel like there's an in- intrinsic part of humanity that desires to achieve to grow, to be successful, to be seen as significant. You know, Tony Robbins has his six human needs framework where he talks about significance as one of those six basic human needs. And we all pursue it in some way. You might find your significance, you know, by being unique and dressing a certain way, or you might find your significance by moving up the corporate ladder. Like there's there's a million different ways you can get it, but all of us are pursuing significance in some form or fashion. And I do think that engineers on the whole work their freaking asses off to get degrees. Sure. And when they get into their career, it's like, I didn't do all this for nothing. I wanna go achieve something, I wanna show what I'm capable of, and demonstrate or prove to the world that, you know, I, I, I can handle this. I got this. And on top of that, you get into these company cultures where, you know, all the people around you are seeking promotion and want to sure. move up. And so there's these cultural conditioning kind of signals that that's what you're supposed to do. You know, if you're the one engineer on the team who's like, nah, Promotion doesn't matter. I could care less about a bigger bonus. Forget the big paycheck. Like I don't need a yacht. It's cool. You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of odd, right? When all uh, your peers are saying, you know, how many more years until I can get to that director level or whatever? Right. So, again, it's tough to go against the the grain on that. And I think the uh, the rare, you know, leader who actually can get away from all that pressure and authentically decide what do you want, not what the world wants for you. Um, it, it's, it's not common to find those kind of really authentic leaders.
1: Yeah. And I, and I guess what I was getting at just because it seems to, and, and like, I, I know I narrowed it down to engineers, but it's probably across the board and probably most white collar jobs. I would think that, you know, there's some, th- you know, everyone comes out of college or finds their first job and they are the, you know, the, you know, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but they like have the motivation to get, try to get to the director position or CEO, or whatever totally. it is. Totally. Yeah. And that, and I guess what I'm getting at is that my point is that, you know, like you said, like every year, you know, you want that promote promotion or raise and it's like, okay, you know, how did the, uh, the quarter the earnings look How did the year, the earnings work and it's always gotta be better than the last, you know, and you're always yeah. just trying to get better and get better and get better, get better no matter what. But it's like, comes to a point it's like you know where do you where does it stop at you know like is that like yes. does that just lead on to the stress more you know where you know the bosses are like hey we need everyone to work an extra hard this time because we got to beat last year's earnings or whatever it is yeah and that yeah and, 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 and i'm sorry real quick that in my part of my path when i was working in higher education i met a couple people who reached to And I guess most universities do it differently as far as like directors and associate directors and assistant directors. But I had a couple people who got to a certain level and just like, I'm good here, you know, and that they didn't want to target painted on their back. is how they put it to me and that they were kind of in a mid-level position and they were happy and they enjoyed how life worked or life was for them. You know, they didn't quite work life balance, but others are just, you know, like I got to get to. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have no motivation to get to the top, but I think that's where. It was a cool thing where actually, you know, one of my supervisors at times like, I'm I'm happy here. You know, I don't need to go be the dean of whatever. And I was like, "Mm, you know, that's cool. Yeah, you gotta figure it out.
2: Yeah, Chris, I'll say one thing. Just you know, knowing that you have such an amazing and broad listener base, it's really important to clarify that there's no judgment about which path somebody chooses. Good. If you want to go all the way to the top and you want to work more than any other thing, like you want to give your whole life to the company, go for it. Sure. Um, If you want to work 35, 40 hours a week and stay at the level you're at and have more balance, awesome. Like it's really not about one being right or wrong, better or worse. I think the real problem is that lots of people are caught in that infinite game that you talked about where there is no end to how much work you could ever do. Mm. The to-do list always is longer than the hours in the day. And and they wake up in their life a decade or two decades later and say, what am I doing? Like, wh- where did my life go? And, and they're burned out or they're frustrated or they're sick, literally, like physically their body's worn out. and. So that's the thing that I'm really passionate about. Like if your authentic vision is to work and work only, like, cool, that's fine. But most people haven't actually taken the time to really get clear if that's what they want. And what I've found is the percentage of people who that is actually the life they dream about is really small. I don't doubt it. It's really small. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, because it's like you're saying that, you know, I'm not... Sometimes when I get on here, I feel like I am knocking stuff, and I'm glad you said what you said because I'm not knocking motivation or getting to the top of your game. Like you said, if you're – like I have a firm belief that if you're not hurting yourself, if you're not hurting anybody else, and if you're happy, I don't care what you're doing. Go for it. Yeah, Yeah. go for it, right? But that I just wondered. you know, that – If there is a problem you know with the type of modern workplace culture just because of those reasons right there that we are always expecting more and more and more out of and not only white collar blue collar jobs too that and that's what kind of leads these people to another life path they never would have dreamed of. I mean I'm sure you know when you were going to Purdue, you would never have said that I mean did you ever think you were going to be a coach now if when you were in oh no. Uh,
2: no, oh, good. Never, th- never saw this coming. No.
1: Yeah. You know, you probably just had, you know, like, this, like you said, you know, like, hey, I want to get the big job and move up and then get married and all yeah. that stuff. And then all of a sudden, drop of a hat. Wow. Life does a 180 and you, nothing that you would never expect. And then you got to learn to adapt. And and then and you've adapted very well. It seems like, you know, you've learned and you've overcome the obstacles and you're on your way up, you know, I mean, and it's cool to see that, you know, you didn't let life just keep beating you and beating you down, you decided that, hey, I'm put on Zach's fighting montage training video right here. Let me, let me
2: get after it, right? Go t- yeah, dude. And yeah, I think it's important right here to to put, uh, I don't know what we'd call it. I was going to say exclamation point. That's not what it is. Th- there's a really important asterisk, a little caveat we got to say. Yes, there are real pressures and challenging pressures with company culture And all the things we've been talking about. But Chris, those are not excuses. True. Okay. Like at the end of the day, it's up to the individual engineer. It's up to the individual, whatever you do for a living, you know, if you're in white collar, blue collar, if you don't have a collar, I don't care. Like it doesn't matter what those external factors are. If you want to create something different in your life, it begins with taking full responsibility that that's up to you. Say it. And so for me, like, yep, I, I specialize in engineering coaching. That's who I, I work with, leaders in technology. So I can speak to that more directly. And I'll tell every client I work with, sorry, if you have a toxic culture or a bad boss, or you were you know lied to about X, Y, Z, or you've been conditioned to believe things that you know have made it hard for you to not work 60 hours a week, or you're afraid that if you don't do fill in the blank for the company that you might get fired, I'm sorry. That does sound hard, but guess what? <laughs> it's your job to take control of your life. And so, are you going to tell your boss no to that fifth weekend shift in a row mm. because you have a family to take care of, or not? Like y- this is up to you. What do you value? What are you going to do about it? Right. So, of course, I simplify that. There's a lot to that. It requires a lot of courage, and that's why people, you know, work with coaches and get help. But I don't want to give people any out that you can blame the system or the culture. Like, nope, there's nobody you can blame but yourself if you're not happy in your situation. And that's not a pill that a lot of people want to swallow. Oh, yeah. But if you'll take it, you can transform your life.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I wonder if, and again, in this modern world, if it's too much victim mentality where... And it's easy to blame others for your problems where it's just that, Oh, you know, I would have, you know, probably did that if I wouldn't uh, you know had X, Y, and Z happen, you know, and it's like, well, maybe you should look at your own self and what you did that day and what you could have done prepared to get around this obstacle or avoid yeah. this problem. But, and, but it's, and it's so easy just for people to, you know, point at somebody else like, Oh, it's their fault, not mine. And that, and that's one thing I've seen over a few things. And it's just that, and I, and, I probably growing up in college probably had a sense of that too, and you know you look at people who have gotten to the top of their game, you know, who've worked, sacrificed, done whatever. Then it's easy to say, oh well, it's easy because it's you know it's them, you know, or whatever, right? That right. And, and but it's really just like, hey, you know, I'm not really looking ins- and reflecting inside of me and seeing what issues are. I mean, just like I said earlier, I mean, you could easily just decided to well, I mean, this is you know. America's or the workplace culture's fault that I got yeah, fired or totally. burnt out or whatever it was. And this totally. is just life. Yeah. But you know, you, in and, and it's one of those things that, I mean, have you always been like that? You know, when you found a problem, you decided that or something happens, you're like, Hey, I'm going to tackle this head on. I mean, not to like, no pun intended, but you're going to engineer it the way that I'll fix it. You know?
2: Well, no, no, I was, I definitely was not born that way. Okay. Um, and, I would even say being a victim, a victim mindset person, it contributed to my ultimate rock bottom experience, for sure. sure. Um, and, And really quick, I think it's an important distinction. Let me separate who's to blame, fault, from what we're talking about, which is responsibility. Like, it's completely reasonable to say that some of the stuff you're dealing with is not your fault. A lot of stuff happens in life that you didn't mm. ask for. Sure. <laughs> That's not the point. Like it, it, you might be right that it's somebody else's fault, but the responsibility is not about fault. It's about, so what? Like, what are you gonna do about it? Yeah. I, I tell my clients, everything in your life, you either created or allowed, you know? So, so it doesn't matter how it got here if it's still here and you're not doing anything about it, then you're allowing it to stay. I agree. Right. So like Chris, you could dump a pile of poo in my front yard. It would be your fault. (laughs) But if you're not around to clean it up and nobody else is going to clean it up for me, it's my responsibility if I want it out of my yard. Right. Like that's, that's what we're talking about here. So um, sometimes people get hung up on this, like, but it's, like, how could it be my responsibility if it's not my fault? I didn't ask for this. I didn't do this. I'm not the one. It's like, you're right. It's not your fault. It's totally reasonable to say that this is not something you wanted, but sure. that doesn't abdicate your responsibility. So, that's a dear question, man. No, I, this is not a way I was wired out of the gate. It's something that I developed through the process of my own healing journey and being coached. And I had to have some tough, tough conversations with my coach. About like, Zach, you know, you're letting everybody else have your power. When you are a victim, you've given the power to that other person. When you blame your boss, you've given your power to your boss. What would happen if you took that power back? And I just sat there. I was like, "Steve, whoa, what are you talking? Like, what, what? what's possible if I go back into the world and I reclaim all the power that I gave away and I start taking action and I start living courageously and I start taking risks and I have the confidence to say, even if I fail, I'll get back up and go again. And it was this massive shift. So no, man, I was a afraid, blaming, victim minded engineer (laughs) when I got out of school, like not to Poo-poo on engineers out there, but there's a lot of us in that category. I, I was one of them, so I can claim it. Like that was me coming out of school, oh, uh, but the the transformation during that time after my divorce was about realizing, wow, I I was only living in power in the areas that were working for me, and anything that wasn't working for me blame everybody else. It was my wife's fault. It was, you know, so-and-so's fault. It was like, I'm, I'm a great husband. It's her problem. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh man. I was doing it left and right. So I hope people are encouraged. I'm not perfect today, but I've come a long way.
1: (laughs) Good. But, and, and speaking of coming a long way and then, you know, you setting out to start Oasis of Courage and I mean, what was that process like? I mean, were you stressed over it, knowing that you know your background, what you just went through, and just wondering, wait, oh wait, could this be another failure? Will it be will it succeed? Oh wait, what what I do if it does succeed? And and I mean, what was it like? What was the mentality like?
2: Yeah, the the decision to start the company was no doubt one of the hardest decisions I've made in my life because I was walking away from a very lucrative, very successful career in sure. engineering. And I had no idea if this was gonna work. I had this belief that what transformed my life and what I had seen changing the lives of others. You know, I was coaching people at work and on the side and doing it for free and just kinda seeing what, you know, hey, can I help other people? I started doing coach training because I thought this is a great skill for me as a leader at Whirlpool. I was working at Whirlpool Corporation at the time. And when the idea hit me, there's a real opportunity to help thousands of engineering leaders who need help with this. Yeah. It was one of those moments where the the mission, the vision of what I wanted to create was so clear. It's like, that is something that's worthy of my life's deepest pursuit. But at the same time, I had never been more afraid in my adult life. Like, I was terrified, man, because going from extremely confident success, if I just stayed put, and no guarantee of success if I left. And honestly, I go back to that fully known, you know, from 30 minutes ago, my best friend Dave, he and I sat down when I had this epiphany that I think I want to start this company. And we sat down for drinks at a little bar not far from where I'm sitting right now. And I told him like, hey, I have this idea. I think this is what I need to do. And I will never forget my buddy Dave just looking at me and saying like, bro, you can do this. Nice. I believe in you that you can do this. This is absolutely what you need to do. I'm with you 100%. How can I help? When do we start? Like, and he was all in. And I think just that one, External vote of confidence. And sure. then the, the next uh, day I talked to my wife about it and I was like, all right, honey, I've got this crazy idea. I want to quit my high paying job, leave the salary behind and go be an entrepreneur. And here's what I think the business will look like. And my wife, exact same thing. Like her first statement, what took you so long? You know, this is this is what you need to do. When, when does it start? I'm with you 100% you know, if we need to cut the cable, you know, we can drop, stop paying for cable for a while, like whatever we need to do to make this happen. And, and that was all it took. Once, once I had those people rallying behind me, then, yeah, just like game on, you know, felt, felt ready to go. But I'd be lying to you if I said I hadn't dealt with some pretty serious fear about what if it doesn't work. And I'd also be lying to you, Chris, if I'd said, I didn't go through some tough times after quitting. I mean, it was not a, straight line to success. It was a very tough transition, but I would do it again in a heartbeat.
1: When you say you're going through tough times, is that just when you were talking about earlier, just kind of rebuilding yourself and?
2: Yeah, so so there was, uh, not, not exactly what I was speaking to earlier in our conversation, gotcha. you know, that was right after the divorce when I was being coached. But I will tell you, the journey of entrepreneurship, any entrepreneurs out there listening are gonna, you know nod their head and say, amen entrepreneurship is a unique crucible mm. and it will test you. It will test you. Cause when you don't have that steady paycheck coming in at the end of the month or every two weeks or whatever that looks like, and you've got to go out there and make it happen. Sure. You're the one who makes it rain. No, like there's no paychecks just coming. That's a really challenging place to be. And I had never been there and I thought I was ready for that, but I, I would be kidding if I said it's an easy transition. So, That challenged me in a whole new way. And honestly, my growth, you know, 100x in the last three years versus my entire career as an engineer. Um, Not to say that, you know, if you're working a W-2 job, you should become an entrepreneur. That is not what I'm saying. Mm. But it has, for me, challenged me to grow in an even bigger way than anything I had done before. For sure.
1: Mm. I like that. Do you, do you like challenges like that? That, oh you know, yeah, like, and, I, and that's one thing I've had to learn lately. And I think Peter Atiyah, he's a doctor, was talking about how, yes, yeah, you need to challenge yourself, whether it be mentally, physically, and you know, not, again, we're not going like saying, "Hey, go run that marathon or climb okay. Kilimanjaro," but you know, th- these daily little challenges and that kind of. And he, I think he explained it as being one of the keys to longevity, which is really absolutely. Cool. So like I absolutely. like, you no, know, like even I just usually start my day off with the word. I was like, hmm crush that, you know, I got that done, but that's a nice little win and then do my workouts or whatever. But yeah. And I think, but I guess, you know, I've learned to kind of, when I have challenges kind of meet me head on that I don't just, you know, push them aside and just try to find an easy way out. I've learned to try to like, Oh yeah. And like, like you said, you grew. And I was like, and like, when I got my first little wins, like, Hey, I'm growing. I can do this stuff. This is not bad. No, this is
2: only me myself getting in my own way. Absolutely. I, if there are life lessons to take from this conversation, here's one of them right here. Like, listen to Chris, <laughs> do hard things. Exactly. Okay. Do hard things in your life. Your muscles don't grow by only working them the same way every day. Sure. You've got to overstress it, right? You have to put the muscle under tension. Mm-hmm. You got to lift the weight, you got to do the curl. And, and what happens, you know, it's a classic cliche thing to say, but it's true. You tear down the muscle in the act of working out, and then it grows and rebuilds stronger to deal with that stress for the next time. That's what is happening in your mind, in your body, in your spirit. Like when you do hard things, it puts your body under tension. It puts your mind under stress, right? It's like, you feel that. I'm not saying it's pleasant in the experience. Working out hurts while you're doing it, okay? Sure. And, and quitting your job to start a company hurts while you're doing it. But the process of tearing yourself down in that way, being under stress and tension and working yourself out, doing hard things, is exactly what causes you to build back stronger. Mm. Your mind develops, your your self-esteem skyrockets. Like This is where confidence comes from. Your esteem isn't built by lying to yourself. Your esteem is built by doing hard things. Yeah. Like, if you want to feel better about yourself, go out there and do something hard. Say it. <laughs> like do it. And you know what? You might fail. That's all right. The the thing I tell my clients Chris is failure, let's reframe failure. There's not success and failure in life. There's success and feedback. That's it. We're either winning or we're learning. I That's like it. It. I so, like it. So so when you just drop that word failure from your vocabulary and realize it's simply part of the journey towards your ultimate success, yeah, everybody sees life as this fork in the road. I don't know if you hear people talk like this, Chris, it's like, oh, I feel like I'm at a fork in the road. You know, should I go this way or do that? Like, what should I do? I have a big decision sure. to make. Sure. And I get that when we're facing an A or B kind of decision, we have this fork in the road mentality. Well, here's the truth. Your life is not a left or right. Your life is a straight line. And it's not like to the left is success and to the right is failure. And you better make the the correct choice. Between you and success, between you and your dreams is a bunch of failures. And that's okay. It's not like left is failure, right is success. You just keep going and you're going to stumble over some failures along the way to your ultimate success. Like it's okay to fail. And I think as soon as people wake up to that reality and just like, Go do something hard. It doesn't matter if you get it right the first time. You'll feel better about yourself in the end. Yeah, um, for sure. I'm passionate about that. You got me fired up on this yeah, one, good man. Because I was going to go <laughs> run through a brick wall too, man.
1: But yeah, you know, it reminds me of you know the iceberg theory where you know you just see like the, the good yeah. things where people got to, they took you know path A or path B and they got to the the gold or the honey or whatever you want to say, but they didn't really see, you know, underneath the ocean exactly what all they had to go through in order to get to that certain goal, success, whatever it was for them. Totally, man.
2: And so let's get specific. Maybe there's someone listening out there like, that sounds great, but what do you do? So I'm a coach, Chris, and I tell people, you lose your life in the general. You got to be specific. If you want to make progress, be specific. So if you want to do hard things today and it's not in your nature to do it, easiest thing to do is start with your body right? Start with your body. Do something hard with your body today. Maybe it's one set of push-ups maximum Mm -hmm. you can do. Nice. Do your max push-ups, right? It's hard. It's going to take you to your edge. You're going to break a sweat. Like do as many push-ups as you can do. Another great one, easy one, 30 seconds in the cold shower. If you haven't never done the cold shower, you know, it takes that mental edge to get in the cold water. You don't want to do it, all right, it's it just just breathe. I promise it's safe. Like to just just <laughs> breathe. You're going to be all right. Take a cold shower, right? Or you know, maybe if you like to go to the gym, great. Go to the gym, pump some iron, do something hard with your body. You know, that's a great place to start. Because if you're willing to do hard things with your body, a strong body conditions a strong mind. And a strong mind exists inside of a strong body. So that's a that's a hack to get you started. Starts getting the conditioning that I'm the kind of person who does hard things. Then ask yourself, you know, what's a a skill with my mind that I could challenge myself with, right? Is there something at work that I wanna learn that I don't know how to do yet? Go ask your boss for the opportunity to learn that skill. Yes. Or maybe there's a person you need to have a hard conversation with. You haven't, you know, reconciled with a relationship that's, currently you're not talking to that person or something's not right in that relationship. Pick up the phone and call. And just apologize or do the thing you need to do. But like fill in the blank, get your own example. But I don't want you to just take this concept and nod your head and say, oh, that's cool. Do hard things. And then you go back to your life. You don't do anything. Like pick something right now. If you're listening to this and do it, like get after it. Cause this is not something that you can just know. It's a lifestyle. It's a thing you have to do. You have to become it. So start like, (laughs) Right now, I if I go to bed, Chris, and I didn't do something that was out of my comfort zone and challenged me both physically and mentally every single day, then I'm not ready to go to bed yet. I love it. Right, it's like every day, you gotta get out of your comfort zone and challenge the mind and the body. And if you'll do that, you know, in a day, you're not gonna see any difference. Like, wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, bad news, right? Your your biceps don't get huge overnight. Sure. But if you'll start doing it in a year, you're gonna look back on your life and be like, holy cow, how did that happen? God. And in a decade, you have no idea what you can accomplish in a decade yeah. if you just start getting after it.
1: So Yeah, that's what, you know, I think everyone either wants to take the, what is it, the red pill or the blue pill, just have it, that success overnight. Mm-hmm. That, and that's one thing I I've, uh, I've try to tell them that, you know, when I've been asked like certain things, it's like, well, you need to get this out of your head. It's very rare that you're going to see, like you said, you wake up tomorrow morning and you're going to be, I don't know, the rock or whatever, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, I mean, yeah. like you have to stick with these lifestyle changes or whatever and whatever it is, not physically, it could be just mentally. If you want to write a book or whatever it is that, you know, you got to put in a time. Day by day by day, and I think there's a good book by
2: Yeah,
1: even Pressfield, and I think it's called Is it the War of Art? The yep. Art of War? Yeah, War of Art. You know it? War of Art. Yeah, yeah, and basically for those listening to that, you know, even if you don't think you, I guess in terms of writing, I think the way he puts it is that even if you go to the desk every day and you try to write, and that even if you know you don't have anything coming, but if you just make yourself do it every day, eventually, I think he calls it the muse, and it finds you. Yes, right? and then like you know, yes. you start to. whatever reason you start making magic happen just because you're actually staying committed and putting in the work and, and going there every day at a certain time and just like, Hey, I'm going to do this rather than just, okay, I did it for two days. Okay. Let me take two weeks off now and whatever. But yeah. And like you, and again, you just got to keep putting in that dirty grind until, you know, three, four weeks, five weeks, like you said, a year later, then all of a sudden, Whoa. Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Chris, the, the not sexy secret of success is that successful people simply do the things that unsuccessful people know they should do, but they're not willing to do it. They just don't have the discipline to do it and they're not committed. Um, you know, Sorry if you were hoping there was a red pill, blue pill situation, but the fact is, I mean, everybody wants to believe that super successful people all got lucky mm. and, you know, like you said earlier, there's an exception to every rule. I'm sure there's someone out there who it was all pure luck. But at the end of the day, like, that's not, that's not how it works. Yeah, yeah no, I agree 100%. Sometimes I feel
1: like, you know, I, I usually ask, you know, when people are entrepreneurs and stuff because of this hustle culture mentality where, you know, it's just like almost too much. Like, you know, there were, they, you know, I, I forgot who was saying it. Was it Elon or I forgot who was saying it, but that you have to work almost 18 hours a day or something in order to be successful. And, but then it's like, to me, it's like, well, at what cost, you know I mean? What did you, yeah. what kind of work yeah. did you get in those 18 hour days? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but I wonder if that's what knocks, you know, being an entrepreneur where people like, well, I'm not going to put 18 hours of work in every day. You know, I'm going to go home and watch Netflix and, you know, chill on the couch, man. Yeah. And so, and I wonder if like and I, and like when I hear stuff like that and that you know and I think you know there was reports of him actually sleeping on the floor at his Tesla factory or something I don't know but then when I hear stuff uh, like that, like no nah, I'm not doing this
2: Elon's a pretty extreme example well, you of yeah you know, if we if we take Elon as the <laughs> the benchmark of entrepreneurship you know let, let's be frank if you wanna change the world in multiple industries in your lifetime, you're gonna work some extra overtime, <laughs> all right? Like Elon is a unique, unique That's a good person.
1: That's a good point. Um,
2: but, but here's what I'll tell you, Chris. Entrepreneurship is, it's not different than engineering in the sense that there are some engineers who work 80 hour weeks and some who work 40. And there are some entrepreneurs who work 80 hour weeks and some who work 40. And you can be successful in any of those sure. buckets, depending on what your definition of success is. And, you know, it's a good segue, if, if you will, into the the whole premise of what I do at Oasis of Courage is what we call lifestyle engineering. You know, I'm a mechanical engineer by at Purdue and I got my master's in mechanical engineering at the University of Michigan, but I got my lifestyle engineering degree through rock bottom experiences and learning that there's other ways to success than what the world will tell you, and you know your job is to make the decisions in your life that are going to create the lifestyle you want to mm-hmm. engineer that life, and you know just to be brutally honest with everybody, I'm super happy with the life I've I've built. Yep. You know, I, I work hard when I work, but I also took you know, 14 days to snowboard in Colorado in January and 10 days in the Dominican Republic to celebrate my five-year anniversary with my new wife. And I, you know, went on five other trips in just the first half of the year. So in 2022, when we're recording this Mm -hmm. and, you know, coming here into this, I just got back from Disney World, spent three days down there with my wife just to celebrate a couple of good months in the business. Just said, hey, let's go to Orlando. So I couldn't have done that as an engineer. Sure. In the company that I worked for. And, you know, again, it's not to say one's better or worse. You know, I, a lot of my clients don't have the flexibility that I have, but they're creating the lifestyle that they want. Right. And if they believe that's an incredible amount of flexibility and their time is what they want. Great. Then let's go engineer that. There's a lot of ways to get it. And there's trade-offs, just like anything. But- I also believe anything is possible if you're just willing to keep getting creative about how you. We get locked up in what I call the tyranny of how. Everybody stops moving forward, Chris, because they don't know how. how. How is that even possible? I don't know how to do that. And so they stop dreaming about what they actually want for their lifestyle because they don't know how to get it. And it stops people from taking action in their life.
1: No okay.
2: Tyranny. So, so when you get stuck in the tyranny or the cage that how puts your mind in, and engineers are the worst at this. Like I was exactly this person, which is why I think the, you know, the work we do is so powerful for our clients. But how stops people from action. Now, the great news is when you show somebody a how. It's very easy for them to just follow the steps, right? Do A, yeah. then B, then C. People are great at following the steps. The problem is life, the great game of life is not a recipe of A, then B, then C, and you just get the results. It's like, <laughs> I wish it was always that easy, but it it's not. And so we get stuck with this, I don't know how to do that like Zach, I would love to be able to take 30 days off a year and travel all over the place, but I don't know how I could possibly do that. I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. I have a job. I have this barrier. I have that barrier, like overwhelmed by, I don't know how. I know the reason. And so instead of holding on to that vision and that dream and saying, I still believe that's possible, there's two options, right? We either keep working at that until it happens, and close the gap that way, or we can just screw the dream and start saying, whatever I have now is fine. One or the other is gonna happen. Because when you create a vision, Chris, the fancy coach word is cognitive dissonance. Sure. right. As soon as I start dreaming about something that I want that I don't have, my brain goes into this cognitive dissonance where it's like, I can imagine a life better than the life I have, but that's not my life. And so I feel tension around that and that's not comfortable. Your brain is like, ah, which is it? Is it this thing or is it this, what you have now? Is it the dream? And so we're in this place of dissonance and the easy thing to do is to stop dreaming. Dissonance goes away. This is all I'll ever have. This is my life. I just resign myself to this. The hard thing to do is to say, I'm going to elevate my life to my vision and that's how I'm going to make the dissonance go away. And, and the reason people don't do that a lot of times is because they can't see how to get from here to there. Sure. So they just say, screw it. Yeah. Or not,
1: not only that, they might be able to see it, but I feel like, you no, know, one thing in my head that usually happens when I start to think about getting from here to there, like, ooh, like even starting this podcast, you know, like, wait, what if it does start to become a, a success? You know, what What happens? You know, what do I do then? now it's just like, And, and, and I guess going back to my point earlier about, you know, one of my bosses was, you know, where he was talking that if you get to a certain point, you know, the way he put it, you had a target on your back, but, you know, and I wonder if Jack, and I'm not saying they were scared of success or anything. I'm just saying that it's almost like pressure, you know, when a person like an athlete who's the top of top of their game, whatever, probably considerably the best baseball, basketball, football, whatever you want to say that it's a lot of pressure that if you do one thing wrong, then all of a sudden you have nowhere to fall, but down.
2: Right. And so, And I I wonder if
1: it goes on a lot of people said like, well, I don't want that. I don't, I can't, I don't want that on me,
2: you know? Yeah. Fear is a powerful force, Chris. And I forget who gets credit for saying this and I'll butcher the quote right now. I apologize. But there's a saying that most people's actual greatest fear is not that they are weak or a failure or that they'll never be successful. It's the fear of how powerful and how successful and how great you actually might just be. Mm. And it's like, whoa, But you think about? Like, what if you are capable of 10, 100, 1,000 X, the biggest dream you've ever even had? Like that thought for a lot of folks is far scarier than the thought of what if I try this next promotion and don't do well. Like, what if that is still just a fraction of your potential? Like, what if your real power and capability is so much bigger than you ever even have dreamed of today? Immeasurably more than you've ever even thought of. That is something that is quite scary.
1: That quote you're talking about, is that the one about our deepest fear is that we're not, we're inadequate or something like that? Is that how it goes? I Cause it sounds so familiar too. And I'm sitting here. Yeah.
2: I forget the, the, the eloquence of the actual quote eludes me in this moment, which is bad as a coach. I know a lot of quotes, but no, this, yeah, this one but escapes it's
1: me. It's something like that. It's, and I, I, uh, the quotes in the movie, coach Carter and the guy says it and like that, our deepest fear is that we are not inadequate, but we're powerful among mm. yeah, something, something like that. Yeah, it's something along those right lines. Track. Okay. You're in the right track. Yeah. That's, that's a great quote by the way. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I want to make sure I actually got you. Cool. But, Zach, uh got to wrap this up, man. Uh, how, but I feel like it's a good, How has it
2: been an hour, Chris? I feel like we just got started, hour. man. That's crazy.
1: Hour. But I feel like it's a good way to end this podcast on a good note with that quote you just said right there. And that, uh, you know, if you want to plug Oasis of Courage, if people want to find it, if people want to find you or anything you just want to plug in general, feel free to do that.
2: I appreciate the opportunity. And, Chris, before I do, I just want to acknowledge you your show your amazing listeners I'd had a chance to listen to a couple episodes before our interview today and the work you're doing the the conversations you bring the willingness to just dig into life and have important conversations with people it's really powerful so keep doing what you're doing man it's awesome thank you thank you Brad. yeah if anybody listening maybe you are an engineer or everybody knows one and if you feel like that person would benefit from you know, getting into lifestyle engineering, thinking about how to become more, maybe deal with some of the challenges that engineers face in their careers and in life. Uh, we all know the stereotypical engineering challenges that, that they can face, and uh, this is what we specialize in. So honestly, the best place to go would be to, to start with my podcast. It's called The Happy Engineer. Uh, you know, if you're, wherever you're listening to Chris's amazing show, you can just search the happy engineer, you'll find it. You could also visit the happy engineer com or everywhere on social media at the happy engineer podcast. But that's where we provide all of our, you know, tailored content for that engineering audience and they can navigate to any other services or opportunities we have for, for coaching from there. So the happy engineer podcast, come hang out with me. I'd love to see you there.
1: Cool. What? Dude, Thanks for being here. I'm glad we did this. This was a great conversation, man. I really enjoyed your insights and just talking to you in general. And you're a cool dude, man. I appreciate you.
2: Chris, thanks so much. Right back at you. Couldn't be cooler. We'll have to do it again sometime.
1: Sounds good. All right. We're out of here, folks.
2: Good night.